Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season 15, Chats 8. Each week, we watch and discuss two episodes of the Netflix original series, Sense8. My name is Alan, and I'm joined by an all-access kind of podcaster. It's Magellan. Ooh. Yeah, I, I know. I got that <sighs> reference. I don't think I did actually. Oh, all access kind of girl. No me, all access kind of girl. All access kind of girl. Yeah, I have everybody's records. If you're listening to this podcast, I have access to your. I hacked into your records. I have your. I have your birth certificate. I hacked your records, and boy, did you fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you did last, most recently. Yeah, that thing. I know it from your records. With the with the lubricant. That's right. That's Ew. right. Oh, I thought I thought I was acquitted for that one. No. No, you should have quit. A... I quit doing it because I now know about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mortally wounded by my podcasting co-host. It's Magellan. Oh, that's another good intro. Let me let me start over again. Welcome to the first ever episode of Chats the Television Podcast. Hmm. On this show, we're gonna figure out what the show is about. I'm. Caffius Onyango, and he is. Name any other character on Sense8. Any other character? Mit, uh, Kellebrim. Wait, fuck, wrong show. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Mitt Romney, but then you said Kellebrimbor. <laughs> really close, right? Really? Like the same ballpark? <laughs> yeah. Politics, very extremely similar politics. Lord of the Rings is all about politics, and Sense8 is all about friends being friends, and we're here to talk about them. Yeah. First up this week, we watched Sense 8, Season 1, Episode 11, Just Turn the Wheel and the Future Changes. We also watched the season finale of Season 1, Episode 12, I Can't Leave Her. Can you guess who said that and about who? Find out right after right this. Now. Oh. Um, I will I will say the moment where the character who says Just Turn the Wheel and the Future Changes says it, it feels like that character was handed a slip of paper from off screen to read for that sentence. It, like, doesn't yeah. quite fit with, I don't know, it's, like, a little too poetic, but it also works. I agree 100%. It was kind of like, oh, really? Really, we're going to? Okay. Just Turn the Wheel and the Future Changes was written by Lillian Lano-Wakowski as well as J. Michael Straczynski. This episode was directed by Tom Tykor and it aired with the rest of season one on June 5th, 2015 on Netflix. Magellan, what happened in the episode? In this episode of Sense8... Riley's fate draws nearer while Caffius and Son are put to the test and Wolfgang makes his boldest move yet. What did you think of Just Turn the Wheel and the Future Changes? I love the context of the line. I love Wolfgang's great at boldest move yet. This is fun. I forgot how fun the back end of Sense8 Season 1 was. Uh, We'll talk about which episode of the two is my favorite this week, but like... Uh, regardless they're both really fun i had a very good time watching these it's just it's popcorn it's the wakowski's doing what they do it's jms writing the cheesy lines it's the action directing you got tom tyker in there making everything feel like a freaking music video what more do you want this is this is the other half of sensate you know because we talk so much about the show being like what if it was all vibes what if it was all vibes and like sometimes i just want to watch people fight each other and shoot guns that's kind of fun to me um and we got a little bit of that here so i, I what I, we what we did get Mainly the Kafia stuff I found very fun. What about you? Yeah, I agree. There was a lot of like pump your fist, fuck yeah moments. 
mostly in the second one, I would say, is where yeah. I felt that. Um, but there is definitely some of that here, and uh, that's just that's just a good time. You know, you do all this kind of delicate groundwork of the characters kind of figuring out that other people are there in order to build to this place where it's like, all right, son, can you kill all these guys with the machete real quick, please? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is which is fun. And like being able to tap into each other really much quicker. Uh, I think my favorite example of that was in this episode when uh, Will finally introduces himself to Kala and you're like, oh my God, these two characters have never even thought about each other before. And within two seconds, they're like, you're in the same weird like poly brain that I'm in. Uh, yeah, you're not here physically, but you are here in another space. Yeah. You want to see our other mutual friend? Yeah. Okay, done. Colin and Will have a relationship now. That's fine. We figured it out. I love that stuff. So so economical. We don't need to have 15 minutes of like, what? Another guy? And, and my roommate was like, Colin's going to go like, another hot guy with a big dick? Oh, no. <laughs> this adds a whole new complication. <laughs> but she doesn't say that about Will. Unfortunately, he smells like bacon because he is cop. Um, <laughs> um, speaking of Will, the first big like scene stealer this week is um, Nomi Neatson Will forming a like Nancy Drew detective squad and yep. doing a lot of the work Super with the fun. help of our, our buddy Bug, who's back. Bug. Oh, Bug. How'd you feel about Bug being back? At the same. I'm yeah. still the yeah. same. Well, on one hand, right before he comes in, Nomi's like, oh, man, I don't have enough hacking material. If only I had more hacking stuff. I guess we can't. Dot, dot, dot. Do this. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, my God. Bug. What's up? Oh, you brought all of the hacking materials that I need? All the tools of the trade? That's so good. And then he says he fucking, once again, just misgenders her. But at least he corrects himself. And to me, that's some sort of trans rights. I don't know. <laughs> it was kind of fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that guy just was perfectly cast to have the face of someone who you're like, ugh, I, this guy. But as soon as you see him, you say, bug. What bug. a big smile you have. Oh, right. You're a little insufferable. It's like unbelievable how pitch perfect the casting and the performance is there absolutely and so he gives her some tools to help them find out that um riley is being taken from the hospital uh and brought to this other location this like secret facility in iceland and they need to uh get her out of there so we kind of like set up that problem in this episode with will showing different people riley and being like look we need to help her she's my i guess girlfriend mm -hmm. i guess I like that they make it clear, too, that Will has become less useful as a resource because he's been suspended as a cop. So they can't do things like make uh, turn off, shut off their own APBs and stuff like uh, like Nomi did. But he's still useful because he still knows how to wield a gun, which is really helpful. But a lot of this episode does focus on Riley. Um, how did you feel about the sort of like flushing out of the Magnus and Irsa and her daughter? And the car accident and all of that Riley stuff. Well, we flesh it out a lot more in the next episode, mm -hmm. the car stuff. So oh, I'll I'll save some of it for there. But Irsa continues to be mysterious here in this yeah. one. She basically tells Riley, like, you fucked up. I told you so. And Riley's getting carted away into... Well, first she's taken to the hospital and then... Uh, the 
BPO people get her. Yeah. And uh, Ursa's, Ursa's motives are unclear to us. We have this seed of doubt with regard to her and with regard to Jonas. And then we see some Jonas stuff later where he's like, hey, I'm Jonas. Uh, I care about you, but Whispers knows everything I know. Because I guess he looked at Whispers is what happened. Yeah, he sees him. Well, it's either in this or the second one where they're going through the facility. He goes up the elevator and he sees Whispers. Well, but Jonas... Like there's oh Jonas thing same with... thing Jonas also yes yeah sorry um, I misunderstood who you're talking about so there's there's a lot of like who do you serve who do you trust kind of stuff going on here um, <laughs> in this one which is uh, I think engaging um, but a lot of the Riley stuff is answered in the next episode and for now she's kind of just a plot device which is a little bit of a bummer. Yeah, it feels like whenever they need to save somebody, they just put a woman in trouble and put her in the hospital and people for years. That's now happened twice in one season of 12 yeah. episodes Yeah, with Nomi and with Riley. Uh, yeah. And we're also just retreading old ground, like Riley's dad quietly playing her Bob O'Reilly in the ICU. Kind of sweet. But we literally saw this already. We knew that he's done this before. So not like when she was in the hospital. They're bringing that back. And the last bit of sweetness there was when uh, they're like, oh, my God, everyone, all the other sensates that can see her are like, that's so sad. And Will says, well, she's not alone. Not just referring to her dad, but referring to, like, all of us are here, like, pulling for her. And I felt a lot of good, like, empathy feelings from all of that. Yeah, agreed. Honestly, the main action of this episode concerns um, Caffius, so I'm trying to save it for last and just do a couple of other quick hits. Uh, uh-huh. You had some notes about Kala's plot and the really weird left turn that it makes in this episode, yeah? Yeah, so there's a couple beats that happen for Kala's plot here. The first is she has a conversation with Rajan where she basically tells him, like, well, he's saying, you know, my father is recovering and my mom thinks it's because she's been praying and he's upset about that and all that stuff. And then now that his father is on the mend, Kala shares with him, hey, when he came to talk to me, it was because he thought we weren't a good match and he didn't want us to get married. And Rajan's response is to try to find the bright side of that, which he always does. It's like startling how quickly he's able to spin stuff and be like, <laughs> actually, that's a good thing. And here's why. Kala kind of gets a little suspicious and she's like, wait, you because he says he knew that his father didn't approve of her. And she's like, well, wait, is this just some kind of like rebellion that you would want to be with me because I'm religious? And Rajan's like, no, I like you. But she's feeling a little shaky about it. This scene was tough for me to read because my working assumption was that Rajan tried to get his father killed, which I feel like is probably not real anymore. So uh, I don't quite know what's going on. But then there's this super weird scene where yeah. she like goes back to where he was attacked, the father, mm-hmm. and there are these religious people who basically thank her for like bringing him to the place where he was stabbed. And they're like, hey, sometimes violence is good. You're one of us. Thank you. And then Will has to pop in and be like, get the fuck out of here. I'll, yeah. I'll beat you up. I'm a tough cop, Chicago guy. Yeah. And this 
it was a terrible scene. Truly bad. Um, I don't, I think it's coming from this place of trying to be nuanced. Like, look, there is not, there are not like good guys and bad guys in this conversation. I think that was the attempt. But I think what happened is just this like really weird um, diminishment of what this group of people could want or how they think or how they act. And I, I, I really didn't like it. It's kind of a whiff on all fronts. I agree. Like Will taking over. Because this is also like related to the Rajan stuff, almost a counter to that forum poster I mentioned a week or two ago, who was like, this plotline is bad because it's about an Indian woman choosing to, instead of being with her overprotective husband to be with a hot white guy, mm-hmm. um, which is like steeped in some really harmful tropes about like about cultural differences. Uh, and yet I think Rajan actually might be a good dude who just likes her and just wants this to work. And so, like, it's one of those things where you go, do, should you have, should that forum poster have watched all of this? But then you say, okay, like, oh, come on, dude, you got to watch all of it. And then you get to watch Will, like, defend her. And you get to watch all of the, the like, Hindu people being like, thank you for killing a man for us. And it's like, what does this show at the end of the day have to say about religion? What is it trying to say about, like, why we believe in certain things and the good and bad people of different faiths? I just find it really, really muddled. The way that they like like edge up on her makes it seem like it's a nightmare sequence or something, but it's real. Uh, that all these people are like, "Thank you for defy for the killing the defiler," basically, and it's like, dude, this is right. Kind of an excuse, like you said, for Will to do like an action movie thing for her, but yeah. otherwise, just really weird, and it feels kind of botched. Yeah, I think especially in a show where like they're really treading a fine line between nuanced antagonists and I don't know. Sometimes you have antagonists who are like, I'm a crime Lord, bad guy, and I want to kill you. And sometimes there's antagonists who it's like, I'm a creepy, like I have an organization that's creepy and I'm going to creep up on you. And the show is like trying to turn this group of people into a similar thing. Like it knows how to paint those bad guys as bad guys, but it almost felt like, are these people working for the BPO or something? Why is that? Right. Like, why is that the vibe that's happening right now? This could be, this could be a lot better. And again, I th- I think it's coming from a place of wanting to, make clear that there are like no easy answers and there's no side that is like, you know, totally free from weirdness or or ulterior motives or whatever. But I think in the process of trying to balance those scales, uh, it just, it, it's just weird and it doesn't accomplish anything like you're saying. Yeah. Super weird. Kind of like, the unfortunate thing about this season pivoting to be an action show is that you they're flattening certain plots that were already kind of flat to begin with yeah. um, in favor of like getting us more action. And I don't yeah. think that they need it. And then also like Kala for the rest of the episode is is just there to be like, oh, Wolfgang, don't Wolfgang, do it. no. Like, what are you doing, guys? What is this character even anymore? I don't yeah. know. But, you know, she knows science so she can make a chemistry bomb. 
Love her in the second episode very much. Let's hold our tongues, though, because it's going to get bananas good. Um, was that the that's second all. episode? Oh, it was. It was. You're yeah, right, it was. He like, goes there, and he's like, I'm going to do it. And then it right. happens in the second episode, and it's amazing. Some other stuff before we get to the Caffius Power Hour. Sun has a visitor in, in uh, solitary confinement. It's her brother, Jun Ki. Uh, who tells her that her dad was found dead in a car, presumably of suicide, but they suspect foul play. Sun has two brain cells and understands that obviously Junki did this because he doesn't want Sun to get out because he can control the company. She tells him that she knows this. He says, I would never do that. Why would I kill our dad? That would be so bad of me. And Sun is not taking it anymore. So she leaps over the table and goes the fuck in on her brother before getting pulled off. Kind of empowering, kind of exciting, kind of sick. Yeah, I was wondering where this um, the sun plot was going to go, because, you know, we needed we need her out of prison, I think, um, yeah. although maybe the show just has her there for the rest of the show. Who, who knows? Unlikely. But it feels like we're moving in that direction and the mechanism would probably be her dad saying something. But. Mm-hmm. She also needs to, the thing she's learning in the prison is that it's possible for women in the society to say, well, fuck you. Like, no, (laughs) I'm not going to put up with the patriarchy. I'm going to fight against it. And there are consequences for it, legally speaking. But it, for many of those women, at least how it was presented to us, it was like the morally strong thing to do for them. Was it Um, take the fall? Was to, like, I have this horrible husband who's torturing me. I'm going to kill him, basically. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, and so it would be kind of weird for the sunplot to, for her to, like, talk to all these women in prison and for them to say that sort of stuff. And then her dad swoops in and he's like, don't worry, I'll take care of it, sweetie. And she's like, thanks, dad. Okay, bye. So uh, this was, like, a pretty cathartic scene, I think, to see her beat up her brother because even though it's not moving her closer to getting out of actual prison, it's getting her out of the sort of like patriarchal confinement uh, and dictation of like what she can, should, and will do with her life. Exactly. Um, And so I was cheering. I was like, okay. Hell yeah. (laughs) Nice. Um, and the guy who's playing the brother is so good at doing that sniveling thing of like, um, I, I don't know what happened. Uh, uh, we can't blame ourselves. Whatever we do, we can't blame ourselves. It's like, yeah, okay. You did it, it man. It makes himself very punchable. I think the direction it was to make yourself seem punchable, honestly. Yes, and uh, that was achieved. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's you know, in presumably more trouble in jail, but she got her punches in, and that's good. I'm happy for her. Uh we kind of put a pause on her for the rest of the season, except when we need to do action movie things with her. Uh, well, actually, no. She's in the scene I'm about to describe. My bad. Uh, let's talk about Caffius. Wolfgang's yeah. got stuff to do. He has to rescue Felix. He's quoting Conan. There's a funny line, by the way, uh, where he's getting people out and enlisting people to help. And he's like at telling another guy who's going to help him uh, to give them a fake name for Felix. And the guy says, what name should I use? And he says, Conan. And the guy goes, is that a first name or a last name? And he goes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
so I was distracted at this point watching the episode. Is is what's going on here that he comes back to Felix and he's like, I got to make sure he's safe because I just killed the guy's son and he might come for Felix? Correct. Steiner's okay. father is going to probably kill Felix because he's not going to get the diamonds anymore. So I got to take Felix out of here because he's super vulnerable here. That's the Okay, problem. got it. That makes sense. In this episode, that's what we need to know. And yeah, he still is like, hey, it's Conan. That's pretty fun. But anyways, Caffey's and Jella meet again. The homies are back. And he um, leaves Amandi with Jella while he goes to, quote, settle a debt. Fully putting Caffey's in a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. He has reached his final form of just going to a bunch of guys with guns and saying, but I have my fists. And uh, we see how that goes. He pulls up in the Van Damme, which is very exciting, and truly, truly thinks he's in a movie. And I was hoping that I was hoping that the show wouldn't like break that illusion by having him get like his ass beat again, like that time he tried to help get help from Son and fell on his butt. Because these guys have like machetes and guns, like they are cartoon bad guys. And uh, the main guy, the main leader, I think leader of the superpower, uh, Githu, who is not named in the show by the way, and not credited. He's li- he's listed in the credits as leader of the superpower. I only know his name is Githu because. The woman who we see at the end of this episode who, like, looks at Caffius after he kills everybody um, is his girlfriend. And she is credited as Githu's girlfriend. But he's not credited oh, as Githu. Weird. <laughs> That's so strange. Right? Isn't that really bizarre? Because I was like, this actor is really fun. Like, I like his performance. Yeah, What's his name? Yeah, he's great. Not credited. At, not named. Credited, but not named. Huh. Really strange. Um, but they definitely named him because that's what we found. Uh, yeah. And the guy tries to fake out Caffius. He's like, oh, you're tough. Well, I have a machete. And he swipes at him and intentionally misses. And it's like, oh, fuck you. Um, but, oh, what's who's what's the superpower got? They have Silas Kabaka. Um, and they want Big Caffius swerve. to do it. Well, it's not yeah. expecting this. Yeah, a good twist, honestly. I was. Yeah. Uh, you're surprised? Yeah, I didn't expect this to happen. Uh, <laughs> Silas seemed seemed invincible. But I guess that's what makes this work, right? Right. That's the point of, of, of that is the superpower are like, if you, we want to make things change, we have to turn the wheel. We have to change the balance of power a little bit. Uh, and, you know, I'm like watching this and knowing that Sun is awake and she's punching a wall and bleeding onto the wall. And I'm like, I wonder if this is going to get really sick and Sun's about to do some cool stuff. Uh, and then she does. And uh, Caffius, with Sun's help, proceeds to beat up all of the bad guys and stab them and throw things and do air punches and drop kicks and it's fucking very sick i love this scene very much it's like in a it's in like a van damme movie like this where is this this lumber yard or wherever the hell they're in uh and why are we here it doesn't matter we save silas uh my little note by the way about this scene the funny thing did you notice the guy who's filming everything there's like a guy right next to um, Githu who's like holding a cell phone right up to Silas's face and right up to Caffius's face, like probably four inches away from him. And huh. I just, I was like, this footage probably looks terrible, but I <laughs> kind of want to watch this. It's <laughs> filming it for YouTube or something. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, we get some great action stuff. Uh, I learned from Googling that Duna Bay learned how to do these stunts. Uh, not to say ah. that she did every single one of them, but she definitely trained heavily to do at least most of them which is yeah. fantastic. Um, so they beat up the bad guys. Caffius, he's like, all I have left to now to do is protect Amandi, and I guess I'll bring Silas home. 
and he brings he's about to bring Silas home. But there's, of course, Mike for me was like, oh, of course, huge traffic jam as we're going home. <laughs> it's got, it's, you know, it's a classic trope. As soon as you need to go somewhere fast, there's a traffic jam. Yeah, I wrote, Caffius faces his greatest enemy at rush hour traffic. <laughs> <laughs> and conveniently, the superpower is like three cars behind him and they are shooting at him. Yeah. Filling the car, filling Van Damme full of holes, which looks cool. Yeah. I feel like he should just keep running. If it can run, then keep running Van Damme with all these bullet holes in it because it looks very sick. And the guy finds him. There's a really fun scene here. Will's here to help him like shoot some dudes. Will like taps in with him for a sec. And we have this bizarre uh, like fight scene, I guess, car fight scene, where Gitu is in a motorcycle and Caffius is in the Van Damme and they drive at each other. And Caffius turns at the last second and flips over Gitu and knocks him into some trash, I guess. And once again, he turned the wheel, and the world changed. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Right? Whoa. I was proud of that one. Uh, I was proud of that one. Anyways, Caffey brings Silas back to Amandi. They're happy. Mom and... Er, no, Mom. Dad and daughter are back together. Yay! Plot is done. For now. Dot, dot, dot. What could possibly happen next season? Who knows? And last but not least, Kala is alone at work crying to herself about Wolfgang and her husband and what's going on. Son tells her to stop feeling so bad and gives her what I wrote in my notes is a better version of like a life motto than Wolfgang's father. Um, her four tenets are fear, anger, desire, and love. And how those are the four emotions that you feel. And you take all four of them and you put them into your fists. And you take them out on whoever they deserve to go against. You fight for them. Hell yeah. This is kind the a, toxic thing that I like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a weirdly quiet cut to black here that makes you go like, wait, is this episode over? Yeah, like was there one more scene supposed to be or something? Yeah, confused. yeah but, but pretty cool and sets us up for the next episode. The big, the juicy one, the finale. Uh, any stray notes before we get into that one? Yeah, I have um, at least one here. So I really like the kind of reversal that happens between Kala and Wolfgang here where she's trying to tell him, like, you don't have to do this. The title of the episode, just turn the wheel and the future changes um, because he's been the voice of choice up to this point. That's been like kind of his driving theme or, or value is like the freedom to choose things for yourself or to choose your path or whatever and that's what he's represented to kala and for him now to be saying like some things are just predestined or have to happen can't be avoided and here i go and for her to be the one who's trying to keep him out of that and take what she's taken from him and try to give it back to him uh right. you know i think there's like a tv relationship toxicity to this there's no question about it um, but I do think there's something kind of poetically satisfying about the thing that he believes with such conviction. He, in this sort of hour of need, is um, pushing it away from himself, and she's trying to keep it close to him, and and that that spoke to me. I think. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I think I'm at the point in my life where it's not fun for me to watch a car chase where things get destroyed because <laughs> I just think about how hard it's going to be to like 
fix that stuff <laughs> or like how, and, <laughs> how and terrible it is that some people got their cars swiped by the bus or whatever. So I'm, I'm no fun at the You're party jaded. anymore. You're... Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, most of us are old enough to know how much that would suck in real life. I recently uh, was walking to the train station and I saw at a really busy four-way intersection, this guy had a truck with like the back was full of like metal and small parts. And he uh, it was starting to pull out into the inter- middle of the intersection and then it opened and everything fell out. And I, I like slowly oh, but steadily no. realized that like... You just caught, you just in like two seconds went from like, I'm just driving my car, taking some stuff along to like, this is going to take a while. Wow. We don't have like the ability to just like drive around all that much stuff. You just created a huge hazard and, uh, right. like it just like stressed me out to the point where I had to walk away quickly because I couldn't deal with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we love cars here in Chats and Television Podcast, clearly. <laughs> They're not nightmare <laughs> machines. Uh-huh. Um, so we're going to turn the wheel and the future will change to a world without cars. Thank God. I hope so. Me too, man. Yeah, I have a lot of notes about the second one. I have some trivia about this one, by the way. I don't usually do wiki Ooh, trivia, but trivia. nothing too, too wild. But this episode ran for 45 minutes and 43 seconds, which makes it the shortest episode of Sensei. Okay, yeah. It definitely did feel short. That makes yep. sense. It's a setup episode. It's good to be able to watch this one with the finale. Uh, it doesn't hold up by its own on its own too 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 much except for the caffeine stuff obviously yeah and uh leto never appears in this episode which makes it the only episode of the series not to feature him thank christ yeah and additionally noted absence i felt it because yeah. when he came back in the next one i was like ha, baby <laughs> uh <laughs> it's only the second and last episode to not feature all eight sensates so okay. season two everybody's in every episode all the time thank goodness yeah it's great i love it very much all right well let's be right back after this brief musical break to discuss the season one finale of sense eight i can't leave her do you want to take a quick pivot and read this email that we got last week from friend of the podcast nick yeah we meant to read this last time so we wanted to start uh, the episode here nick by the way is a patron over at patreon.com slash chatspod thanks nick and one of the brothers of infinite war Uh, Nick has some fun little questions for us here. So question number one, uh, if you, referring to both of us, could form a sensate with anyone, living or dead, who would it be? Um, So let's tackle that. I think we thought about it very briefly before the pod, and I think that there's something fun for me in the role of, like, a bunch of old Hollywood people. So, like, uh, I want Jimmy Stewart in there. I want uh, Debbie Allen I want Fred Astaire. I want... <laughs> what are you talking about? Wow. I did not... This is great. Yeah. I want Sidney Poitier. Like, I want, like, a wide swath, but they're all... But I want there to be a theme. Because, like, Majan and I were also okay. texting earlier today about, like, yeah. like the fan fiction universes of Sensei. Like, all the different clusters that people online have probably made up. And the cluster I would make is just, like, all of these famous people are actually connected. And that's why they had like a beautiful, perfect magnetic chemistry is that they were literally sensates. And I would be in that just like making movies or directing or being even like executive producing or whatever. And I'm like, yep, I know that Greta Garbo and uh, and James Stewart, for example, like work really well together. So I'm going to toss them in a movie like I think that would be really fun. That's Uh, fun. Yeah. Is there a group or a person or a couple of people that you would want to sensate with? 
Um, it's a great question. I, I was also, I mean, to tie it to this episode, what I was feeling watching it, and I think I've mentioned this before, is this show is just the best tabletop RPG plot of all time. Like, what an incredible yeah. game table experience this must have been. All these group scenes where they're like taking turns doing their cool stuff and they're hanging out and they're saying happy new year to each other or whatever. It's just like, there's something I think the reason that I make that comparison is because it would probably just be an amazing experience to be in a cluster with a random group of people who are like truly hit random. Yeah. Because I would suspect that so much of what's cool about the experience is actually experiencing it the way that that's the case for like a tabletop RPG story is someone could tell you like, Oh my God, the coolest plot, but it's a way different kind of magic when it's like you are at the table it's your character. You're having this one of a kind experience with these other people telling a collaborative story, sharing collaborative experience. So to me, I think, uh, the boring, but also sublime answer is like, yeah, just hit random and give me whoever. But if we're talking about who would I want, the other thing that's fun in this episode is, um, of course the, the sensei sharing their powers or their yep. special abilities. So of course I'd want to be in a cluster with like Bruce Lee or something. That would yeah. be awesome. Yeah. Or like Jimi Hendrix, like let me just do something cool. Uh and then the other thing that's nice is when they have relationships where they're confidants with each other. So mm-hmm. you know, it's like who would you who would you want in your corner and be able to talk to whenever you're having a tough moment or have to make a tough decision? It's like uh, probably Mr. Rogers. Oh, yeah. Just have the nice empath, like the friendly guy. Just like, you're going to be good. And he specifically knows that you're going to be good because he knows you. Yeah. Yeah. If I could be in a cluster with Bruce Lee and Mr. Rogers, I think that would be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's very perfect. You got me thinking about like an alternate take on Sense8 where every they the world every eight people they just like put eight eight of us together and they hit random over and over again and everybody is paired with seven others and Mm -hmm. you know your friends are all like oh i have like this like woman from brussels and i have this guy from nigeria and you are the one (laughs) this is the stories about you you have uh (laughs) you have a seven person family in china in like mainland China and you and that's it it's they're all related to each other <laughs> like they're just all and you're like I I guess this is cool but I'm never gonna meet them and some people are sensates with like their sister like oh my god there's so much potential in this idea I <laughs> somebody should in a world this. where everybody's a sensate yeah everyone's with a sensate somebody. with someone else yes exactly yeah, you have yeah. to like leftover style like somebody has to have the worst odds ever that just that's right. the way this works right God, I like that. Yeah. Uh, Nick and what you've said, sorry about uh, how the show doesn't have a range of ages. Like you're a sensei with like seven babies or whatever. Oh my god! Like, oh, these little babies. Or everybody gets their Why? sensei powers at once, and two of yours immediately die. Like they're really old, or they kill each other <laughs> or something. And you're like, what the fuck? I only get six. This sucks. Yeah. 
Um, Nick's second question. If the Sense 8 suddenly became the Sense 9 and you joined the August 8th cluster, what essential yes. skills are you bringing to the group? Uh, and he has as an extra note, randomly horny is not a special skill, but still a welcome skill to the cluster. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's an unavoidable reality of being in the cluster, it seems, exactly. after this episode. Yes. What would uh, you say to that? I mean, it's the idea of being an ultimate, right? Like, if folks here have played or read the Danganronpa games, it's like everybody that joins that killing game in those has an ultimate thing that they are the best at. So it's the same premise as that. Like, what's the thing you're known for and so for me that would either be like the ultimate listener or like the ult like i would be really useful in like like wolfgang is like in a gunfight and you know that scene where leto is like oh what if we just like said the right things to them i don't always know the right thing to say but i do know how to be like hey you know earlier he mentioned that like his brother was dying and like you should probably point that out he's like huh good you're really paying attention like i'm the ultimate attention <laughs> that's good that's good i take you're, really you always really have a notebook things. by your side yeah yeah, I do the notes for people because everyone else is busy fighting and fucking and fight, fuck, fuck fighting. And uh -huh. I'm just That'd taking notes useful. diligently. What about you? Yeah. Um, it's tough. Ooh, the I ultimate don't know spreadsheet. What... Spreadsheet, spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I would have is a spreadsheet that tracks like what time zone we're in so we know when it's okay to call each other in our brains. It's like, oh, actually, you're not. You shouldn't talk to Colorado because right she's sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think I would probably end up either being a, a sort of like comic relief, keeps everybody's spirits up kind of guy, but you know, is like a bit of a loser, mm -hmm. or uh, just in comparison to everybody in the show, or yeah, like some kind of organizational thing or I don't know. I think whatever it is, I, I'm I'd play a Nomi type role where I'm at some kind of a computer thinking about things or looking things up or uh taking note of stuff or I don't know what like kind of field skills I, I have necessarily. Yeah. We're both we both have indoorsy skills or just like listening and reading and writing skills. Right. Um I can I can eat a lot of food without feeling sick. That's my skill. <laughs> if you're in an eating contest, <laughs> if Whisper is just like, if you don't give it to me, I'm going to look directly at you. You're like, oh, no. I could eat a big burger and not throw up pretty easily. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wish I had a better outfield answer, but that's what uh, I got. Yeah. Welcome back to Chats 8. The second episode we watched this week was Sense8 Season 1, Episode 12, entitled I Can't Leave Her. It was written by Lily and Lana Wachowski and J. Michael Straczynski. It was directed by Lily and Lana Wachowski. It aired on June 5th, 2015, which is when the entire season one of Sense8 dropped. Alan, what happened on I Can't Leave Her? John, in this episode, with Riley in the hands of Whispers, all of the Sense8 skills are needed to give them any chance of survival. And uh, just to editorialize, that means that we break into the facility using Leto's uh, disguising ability, Nomi's hacking, Will's gun skills, Caffius is driving, Wolfgang's aggression, Kala's science powers, and Sun's martial arts were able to get her out, but not without Will being seen by whispers, which means that he's in his head. And their solution is to knock Will out and rescue Wy Riley in the great unknown. And everybody shares a nice moment together at the end. 
Yay! We love a happy ending. Unless, right? How do you feel about this one? I think I have two very distinct feelings about this episode. Yes. One is, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, this fucking rocks. This is the coolest heist movie ever because you don't have to do all the logistical thinking about like, how does everybody get out? Where does everybody go? You can just have all of the heist characters in one heist body and it's awesome. That's one feeling. And then my other feeling is, Oh my God. Oh Jesus. This is like horrifyingly dramatic what we're doing here and showing me. And I don't know if we're really treating this with the weight that it needs to be treated with. Uh, I don't know. So that's, those are my two, my two feelings about it. What about you? Yeah. It's it's you know it it does have some rough parts but I I I found it really triumphant and fun and it mm. uses all eight people really well. This is like obviously logistically a hard thing to build up to and you can't you can only really do it once per season and I have problems with like how Riley doesn't get to have a power set in this because she's the one being rescued. We have to rescue a sensei. But the episode sticks to its rules. It sticks to what it means to be a sensei and Everybody knows what they're doing, and it makes sense, and there's good action, and I have no complaints. Uh-huh. This is a very, very solid finale. Yeah, and I think in the episode's defense, like, the – so the frame – the framing moment of the episode is this kind of ham-fisted but really interesting, I think, scene that flashes back to Will in therapy as a kid where the therapist is talking to him about how he exhibits savior behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's like the whole episode is Will Gorski's here to save everybody. Um, but then we're made to believe that like Riley is this helpless, helpless damsel in distress and Will saving her. But then at the end of the episode, Will has to knock himself unconscious at the moment of saving her so that she can save herself and save him. And I think there's something there um, that she kind of has to like confront and move through her stuff to save everybody that feels like that was the point, you Mm -hmm. know, of like, you can't be the savior behavior guy. Like you're part of a unit, you're part of a group and also like, Hey, you don't have to feel helpless or that you need people to save you. You have that power within yourself to do it for yourself. I like that. I think it's a little on the nose, but uh, that thematically worked for me. I I didn't actually pick up on that when I watched it. That's a really good observation because, yeah, he is spending the episode being like, I got this. I'm going to figure it out. I'm the only person to physically visit another sensei and I'm going to save her. And it's like every step of the way, he doesn't have it. He doesn't have the talking skill to break into the facility he doesn't have the hacking skill or know how to use the technology every step of it he is brought forward by his colleagues mm-hmm. and by the fellow sensates and he for has him, he has no oh, ghost sorry just for his final moment to be like yeah you got to just shut it down you have to literally remove yourself from the narrative for this to work is pretty good yeah yeah will goes to iceland with no plan whatsoever he's just like i i save 
That's what I do. I save. Yeah. You guys, you guys figure the rest out. I was just curious what you thought of the, if we're going to get into the episode, the meat of it. I was curious what you thought about that opening scene, the flashback with the therapist. and Yeah. Like well, honestly, the content of it, the guy's performance, the mm-hmm. the Sarah stuff. Uh, I'm of mixed feelings about it because I think the Sarah Patrol stuff is still very goofy and like portrayed in a goofy way. Like him being like, mm-hmm. yeah, she's still there. Turns out the window and just just a young girl in the cold looking at him from inside. Like that's really cheesy in a horror movie way. But I also come to expect therapy scenes to be bad in TV and movies, especially like this show has proven that they don't do it super well. And, you know, at first when the therapist is like, hey, well, I'm going to talk to you like you're an adult because people are going to keep telling you that like you're delusional and you're hallucinating and blah, blah, blah. And that's really uncool. I'm just going to ask you um, what's going on. And like, I really enjoyed that moment and feeling like, wow, Will has a reason to like, understand his feelings think about why he does the things he does because from such a young age he had a therapist who actually listened to him uh and i thought that that kind of like retroactively characterized will pretty well however yeah it just ends with the guy being like do you still see her and he sees her and then he goes no i don't see her anymore because he knows he's gonna get in trouble if he does so you know it did anything i say there seem like he was on the page not entirely you know, but I I, I read that into it and felt good about this scene because I I like to see therapists that are actually helpful and listen to their patients instead of being completely awful like so many of the ones we see in TV and film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And it's an interesting scene to frame it, too, because you don't think about this season being about Will. Uh, but now suddenly this like episode is primarily the Will and Riley power hour. Uh, and everybody else is just there to help. Um, because really, who is physically in Iceland? It's Will and Riley. It's nobody else. Uh, it's Whispers and Jonas also, but they're not in the, in the cluster, technically, not yet. But I, I found the Riley stuff kind of interesting. I was like critiquing it the way I would critique a like action or horror movie, though. Um, like Specifically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we see the whole incident um, that happened to Riley. She was... Pregnant with the baby Luna, uh, and their Magnus is driving them because apparently their midwife wasn't able to induce labor. This isn't exactly explained super well. Uh, in the snowstorm, though, they crash. The car flips, and we watch her give birth to Luna in the midst of a car crash next to a dead Magnus, mm-hmm. which is like a really, 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 really intense traumatic episode for somebody to go through. And explains yeah. a lot about, speaking of retroactive characterization, why uh, Riley is so like hesitant to trust people and to feel comfortable like being intimate. Of course he would be. Yeah. And it's portrayed like, I, won't, I don't want to say elegantly. I don't need to see the umpteenth scene of a baby crowning. Uh, I mm-hmm. almost felt like it was getting absurd. I like, though, that she has a handy-dandy knife in the like glove compartment just ready to ha- cut the umbilical cord. It's like... Why did I guess you just keep a knife handy? That's fine. Um, this is what I'm talking about, though, where I was like critiquing it like it's a horror movie because it's like, where did you get that knife? Why are you punching the glass with your bare hands, Riley? Are you kidding me, homegirl? She's breaking the glass to get out of the car with her bare hands. And there's this yeah. tragedy then of like she gets out and she's in this gorgeous, gorgeous Icelandic vista right. with a child that she realizes is no longer alive. 
Yeah, and froze to death, I guess, it, right? If, yeah, she was presumably like unconscious for a little bit and tried to cover up the baby, but it didn't last. It didn't make it. And just, you know, that's the contrast of her life and why she associated, partly why now she associates Iceland with trauma and curses and what she says in the car, hexes. Um, because it's just like so much of evil and horrible things and things you never ever want to have to do as a parent uh, yeah. happened to her all in, in Iceland in this moment. Yeah. Uh, and it all, and it all loops back when later Will is helping her escape and they drive conveniently, I guess to the mm-hmm. same Hill where this all happened. And, you know, it seems in the moment, like it's a little absurd that she would feel this way, but when you consider the totality of all the horrible things that's happened to Riley, it's like, yeah, I wouldn't want to be here. Said places and spaces have meaning. And right. even just being on that hill again brings it all back to her in a way that's like so scary. So mm-hmm. I get it. It's sad. It's also really uncomfortable, like you were saying. Yeah, it's it's intense. Um and <sighs> I I think I've said this before, but it's hard for me sometimes to separate with plots like this, my discomfort from my criticism, Mm -hmm. um, because I do think sometimes we need to be made uncomfortable by things or good things. Good storytelling includes uncomfortable truths or uncomfortable moments. Mm -hmm. Um, And also like... Uh, like is this like trauma porn to for lack of a better term yeah at times i don't know like i I don't want to take a firm stance on that because i think it all fits from a storytelling perspective that riley has had this incredibly terrible sequence of events happen to her and so of course she didn't want to go home to iceland of course when we first get these memories they're scattered and hard to parse because she has I don't want to diagnose her with PTSD, but like she is having difficulty remembering those things and it's like coming up for her or being triggered by the place that she's in. So like that all makes sense from a storytelling perspective. It all lines up. And I I like the arc of the episode of we've got to confront this. I think it ties it up a little neatly and it's a little too cute i think is my problem that it's like the same hill uh because it's like you don't have to literally go back to the same place to do this but like you're saying place has power this show in a lot of ways is a show about place and transcending place but also still being very firmly in Mm -hmm. the place you're in and it's a show where birth and motherhood or uh you know, birth parenthood is like really crucial. The show starts with a character giving birth. And so there's like a kind of symmetry to it ending with a character moving on through the trauma of a birth that has ended in a death, a premature or early death. So like on the page, it all makes sense. But I think watching it, it's like, ah, this is really uncomfortable and I wonder whether this is ultimately like respectful of this story or just kind of like telling a story that's going to really, really get the the views, you know? 
I'm of two minds about this question. You make a great point, though. On one hand, we also get the stuff where Irsa is telling Riley, like, you need to save everybody else by removing yourself from the equation, by pulling right. in Angelica, by, by ending your own by life. By killing yourself, yeah. And she considers it. And Will is the one who's like, you can't give up. We can fix this. We can figure it out. Whispers doesn't have to get us. And you can exist beyond your trauma. This is also the same episode where uh, she is experiencing a traumatic resurgence of pregnancy pain. And we cut over to Will. And the gag, the horror, but also the gag is that he is pregnant. Mm. And it's like, hey, Sensei, do you know what you're doing here? With, like, mm-hmm. the trauma of pregnancy and then the haha, like, quick cut joke of what if Will was pregnant? Doesn't he feel it too? Because, like, I know who wrote this show. I understand that, like, stories about pregnancy are weird and fucking. I personally uh, think that, like, the human pregnancy pro- uh, birthing process, while, like, beautiful and important, obviously, can also be written and portrayed as, like, really scary and body horror y, you know? Yeah. Right. And this is like the blending of that is what we get is Will being like, I'm feeling your pain so much that we have a cut of me with a big stomach. That's like, huh? Is that a joke, guys? Or are you just saying that like he's feeling it? I'm really confused what you're trying yeah, to get out. It was this. a little totally confusing that moment. Big time. And it's so quick, but it was there enough that I was like, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to write that I, one down. Yeah, I think it was especially confusing because all of this Riley stuff in the at the top of the episode is like really heavy and then in the like second act we try to cleanse the palate by doing a bunch of gags and yeah. they're like good gags like it's funny stuff but then to return to the like heavy intense stuff but having also woven in some of those jokes it then makes like you're saying sudden moments uh, indiscernible from like joke moments uh, and that that's that's not the best that's not the thing you really want here no in this sequence uh because the big like climax of it too is that we get the first scene of two sensates touching right is incredible is, oh my god yeah that was beautiful you have to portray this as like really important because to my understanding, season two is going to be partly about doing stuff like this. Like, how physically close can we get them and what happens when that, mm. that occurs? Mm-hmm. But to make the first instance of that so beautifully portrayed as, like, here's every scene featuring Riley. Here's every scene featuring Will. What if we, instead of, like, getting flashes of each other, just fully became each other for a sec? And that's really beautiful. There's, like, something intimate. There's something sexual. There's something romantic about that. Um I thought it was really, really well done, even in the brief cut that was there uh, of these two people finally physically real life connecting. Um, yeah. Michelle and I joked between episodes that uh, if we watched this show in 2020, we would never stop talking about how it's a COVID show because it's about the like yeah. beauty of people wow. being together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. What a COVID moment that is. Like, oh, my God, you finally get to hug your loved ones from across the sea. And they're like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my God, I felt like we all felt the same thing. That like connectedness of the whole world. It's like, damn, that would have hit really good two years ago. Oops. Mm-hmm. It still does. Wow. You know, it's still I, I still feel strongly about like our ability to connect with others. And, and I am a firm believer in, in the sensate ethos that like empathy will get us through a lot of things. But 
um yeah it was a cool moment and they portrayed the visual of like all the memories yeah. flashing was very good yeah and it it uh i think shows uh, how being a sensate is this kind of like fantasy that butts up against the fundamental tragedy of being human which is like every human being has this impenetrable wall around their soul like it's impossible mm-hmm. to truly deeply know someone so intimately that you are inside their memories and inside their skin and so it's this like unknowably rapturous feeling to like touch somebody and feel them and also feel you touching yourself and them touching you and them touching themselves all at the same time um Mm -hmm. so i thought that was beautifully portrayed um in, in this scene it's why I give the show such a pass for all the like explicit sex stuff. And also because I, I think a lot of that's entirely intentional, but like mm-hmm. this is the metaphor for sex and romance that, and right. for just connection that like is true and rings true and is not too explicit, but it just feels mm-hmm. right. This is how it is. When you see, when you understand someone else, it feels like there's no uh, barrier anymore. Like you briefly just peeked through the barrier before it popped up again. Um, yeah. I love it. I love Sensei sometimes. And it's not yeah. really awkward. On the way to Riley, though, um, we get a lot of fun action scenes that we kind of jumped over because um, there's a bit of an adventure to get inside the facility. Mainly, Nomi and Neats are the hacker lesbian duo that we needed. Uh, so they, <laughs> so much, so much, so many gags. They hacked Metzger's credit cards so they could give Will a sports car in Iceland to drive to the BPO facility. Uh, which they then plan to pull the gas line out of and have burn out on its own to distract the guards. Uh, and there's a lot of commentary about like guys can't resist seeing a beautiful car destroyed and <laughs> just the humor of the two of them being like, you know, you know, have to, you have to get out of the car wheel. And he's like, but it's a sports car. And they're like, all right, it clearly works. Cause even will is like not the sports car <laughs> and having all the guards like stupidly run into it. The funniest one uh, is when Will's walking in and some guy goes, hey, who are you? And he goes, dude, you got to check it out. It's fucking it fucking exploded. And the guy goes, huh, what? Whoa. Not the sports car. Oh, oh no. man. That's nuts, dude. Oh, my God. We got to go get see it. We got to go look what at a, it. What a silly plot point. <laughs> so, so it gets silly. us there. So much of this yeah. is about just getting us to where we need to be, mm-hmm. uh, which is very, very, very silly. Because, But, yeah, men love cars. Uh, we also, it's like, how do you get into the front door of a secret medical facility? Well, Nomi tells us about the square cube law, which... Um, <laughs> That's how you know you're a hacker, is when you're always talking about the square cube law. Exactly. Uh, the square cube law, if I'm not mistaken, is an actual mathematical principle, uh, but also can refer to the idea that the more complicated a facility security is, the easier it is to get in through the front door. Uh, mm-hmm. So it has to do with volume and area of things and how they are proportional, whatever. But that basically means he could just walk into the front door, which is true. He gets through. Uh, he has a phone identification that they hacked onto his phone, which doesn't work as for at first. And the guy's like, sir, can you pull over? And then fucking Nobi goes, turn up the brightness. And he turns up the brightness and it works. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I, I, nothing but gags here. Nothing but gags. Uh, turn your brightness up to get into the concert. It worked. Congratulations, you're in the facility. 
Um, it's at this point that the hero, the man of the hour, my king, Lito Rodriguez, comes in. We're playing sexy music. We have like the lead, the theme of Lito or something playing under all of this. Uh, and he is here to play the role of like the flirty scientist guy so that Will can get information on where Riley's being held. Effortless. He's the liar. He's the one who is he's a professional liar and makes up stories. Uh, flirts with another scientist and finds out where it is by basically being like, you're the most beautiful person here and you deserve to be paid more. And all it takes is respecting women, I guess. <laughs> That's all it takes. Mm-hmm. It's that easy, fellas. <laughs> oh, this job is really hard, but I heard that you're really good at it. <laughs> I heard that you're oh the best God, here. I love you. <laughs> I would. Oh, man, you're really hot, actually. Can I just say that? I'm sorry. Respectfully, respectfully. Gay men know how to flirt. What can I say? It's just true. Um, Whispers knows that all this is happening and just is kind of letting it because he knows that he'll uh, get what he wants at the end and he's on the way there by helicopter. Sun beats up some really cool dudes. And then uh, we're continuing to just kind of like, well, how can we use each of the sensates in fun ways? Uh, Kala, after handling uh, Wolfgang's plot, which we'll talk about shortly, learns that they dosed Riley with a certain medicine, which my roommate, who has studied pharmacy, by the way, said is real, by the way. Fun fact. Mm. Okay. He's like, the thing they put her, they knocked her out with and the Sugamadex, which they want to wake her up with, is, is real. So Kala, the scientist, has now revealed that her power is to she knows how to do chemicals. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's great. I like it. I like her version of it in the Wolfgang plot more. But here she's at least like I know what Sugamadex is. If we stab her with it, she will wake up. Uh. Anyways, what looks at whispers? Caffius is the one who's like, oh, we got to get into a car. Oh no, there's no key. I know how to hotwire a car. Uh, and then for some reason, I guess just to get Wolfgang here, uh fucking whispers his helicopter pulls up in front of the car and they're like oh no what are we gonna do and it has to like wolfgang has to plug in to be like i know we'll drive into a helicopter <laughs> like why does it take <laughs> wolfgang specifically to decide to do this yeah it's a stretch because the way that they justify it is whispers is like we're floating in front of you you wouldn't crash into us will you would lose in a game of chicken and will's like yeah but wolfgang would win okay hey um yeah but it's a little dorky it's just like we need to get everyone in here we put guys in front of them to punch so that sun could do something too like i get it uh-huh. uh i i pegged this from a mile away though will figure this out okay if will whispers is gonna see me then what if i can't see anything what if you just fill me full of drugs and uh riley you have to go take care of yourself but wait i can't leave her Riley's the one who says the line. She's talking about her daughter because she feels like she's leaving this traumatic space and if to leave is to kind of like let it go and she's not ready to let go yet. It's, you know, the themes are written on the wall. I keep saying this in the podcast. They really are. They're written in bright pink. Yeah, it's a really sad, really sad moment. It is. Um, but I, I think it pretty, I like the way that they handle this where we as an audience pass out when will does so you know we don't need to go through the logistics of like where do we go how do we get back yeah okay let's fly everybody out to iceland again to shoot a few more scenes uh instead Mm -hmm. it's just like no we're we're out riley did it and now we're sailing off to a new adventure listening to uh sigurosh once again the show does love it sigurosh very much he's icelandic did you get it guys 
I like seeing all powerful, of them yeah, this powerful shot of all eight of them on the boat. Kala, Leto, Caffius, uh, Nomi, Sun, Will, and Riley yeah. riding off into the sunset. What's better than the action movie heroes riding off into the sunset? Nothing, I tell you. Nothing. Nothing. Oh, Wolfgang as well. Sorry. Three, four, five, six, seven. He's Where is Wolfgang in this shot? Oh, he's just further away. That's he's fine. like, for, yeah, standing off to the side. Gotcha. I understand. Classic Wolfie. And meanwhile, in our B plot of sorts, before we wrap up here, uh, Wolfgang has a score to settle uh, with Steiner's dad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is so, this is more fun to me, arguably. I know that like using the Sensei's powers is great, but Wolfgang gets to be in his own little movie and beat up his dude for no reason. And that's just entertainment to uh, me. Yeah. Uh, Steiner's dad has, did you notice his shirt? It's this like bizarre yellow and gray blobs shirt. Yeah, I fuck with it. I like it. I would wear it. It's a look, it's a vibe, etc. Yeah. Um, and he gets how into did, a gunfight. Yeah. How did you feel about the this him and Wolfgang's choices in this plot? Will and Wolfgang? Or are you talking about Steiner's the dad? Wolf, how'd you feel about Steiner's dad and his whole thing and their relationship and then Wolfgang's ultimate choice here? Uh, I didn't get too much characterization from Steiner's dad out of this, honestly. Um, I feel like he kind of like he relegated himself to become a villain and there's not much more characterization to it than that. Did you catch more of that than I did? Um, no, there was this like this thing they were trying to do that I was not quite invested in with like, I knew your dad, I knew you when you were a kid. And then the whole thing where Wolfgang's like. You never did anything, so now I'm gonna kill you. It like felt a little like a bit of a forced thing to me, I guess, but I don't know. I, I think it is. Uh I think it is forced, especially when we see like on on Wolfgang's side, the flashback to like we learned that he killed his own dad. He strangled him in the street as a child. Yeah. Yeah. I was like what mafia movie is this 10 year old in he like burns like turns around flicks a match at the car and blows the car up like what is this this is a t- like it's so sad yeah that a child had to do that but it's who's, so out of the realm of possibility whose funeral were they at at the beginning i thought that was his dad's funeral in the first episode i believe it was but the Wait. ages don't work because he's a kid in this Maybe it was Felix's dad, but he pe- and then he pees on uh, it. It's somebody else's grave. It's somebody else's funeral, but then he pisses oh, on, he his pees dad's on his grave. dad's grave. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's someone in Felix's family. That would make sense to me. Oh, okay. But good catch. Um, yeah, I just felt like it was again getting us to an action scene and also getting us to his relationship with with Kala, where he says like, "And this is why you have to marry Rajan." And uh-huh. <laughs> my roommates. Uh, systematically destroyed this plot for me because he just turned to me and uh-huh. said, why doesn't she just not marry anybody? It, like, <laughs> if she doesn't like Rajan anymore, she probably shouldn't marry him. If Wolfgang is a bad person who's capable of killing, why is she, why is she getting married? Like literally why? What for what benefit? Ta- <laughs> taxes? Money? I guess. <laughs> so sad. Yeah. And she was the first person marrying for love and not even. So like, just don't. Just don't. But I think she's going to marry Rajan. It's going to work out fine. 
Um, but yeah, I think we'll this see. is mostly it's built it's it's character explanation for for Wolfgang and also like I was saying in the previous half. This isn't about her going. I love Wolfgang more than my husband. It's yeah, I can feel connected to other people, but that doesn't have to be like that's different from romantic love and people who I want to marry. That's what that's what you take from this? Like yeah. you think Kala and Wolfgang's done? Um at least romantically. Huh. What do you think? I I disagree. <laughs> you think they're still going to get together? Because she's like, I don't care that you're a bad man. I'm bad too. No, I, I don't care. I'm going to save you. I think that's what it's going to turn into. Uh, yucky. Like, I, I, I don't, this doesn't feel like a final moment. This feels like Wolfgang has made a drastic choice that he's trying to say he's okay with, but like, this is going to haunt him. And I think his plot from this point forward is like, I did a bunch of murders very aggressively uh, and it's coming from like how my dad was fucked up and like made me angry and want to find revenge and I'm not finding revenge and how do I heal? And I think Kyle is going to want to be part of that, which is not like the healthiest relationship to model on television but i Mm -hmm. don't think television is in the business of modeling healthy relationships unfortunately um so i think we're gonna see something along those lines probably and you have to imagine that they got fan response between the seasons and that they're like oh people really like wolfgang kala we have to do more of that we can't do less of that yeah, Kalfgang is sexy. Oh, Kalfgang. come on. Kalfgang. Kalf. This MF said Kalf. Kalf. Loving the time of Kalf. Kalf um, me by your gang. Okay. I will. I, will. I lifted my eyebrows when I said that. Call me by your gang. Call me by but, your wolf gang? Yeah, that's good. It's all it's all in the same vicinity of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Do you notice the line where Will um, says, I don't think Steiner's dad is dead because I know the sound of Kevlar? Yeah. Kind of cool, right? Kind of fun. That like was cool. Little skill. Uh, That's cool. Less cool. Well, kind of funny. Kala uses her chemical weapon skill to fill a, a jar with chemicals and throw it so they have a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> so goofy. Um, maybe this is offensive. I'm going to say it. I don't think it's offensive. Um, my roommate and I just made chicken tikka masala this week. It was so, 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 so good. Uh, and when she was pouring the chemicals in there, they all looked like the spices you use. And I really, 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 really thought for two seconds that it was like, <laughs> if you combine these Indian spices in this way, you'll get a really hot dish. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I was like, no. that's, and then I was like, that's so racist. And then I was like, the Wachowskis would do it though. Like they would do that. Oh no. <laughs> like if we throw this spice bomb at people, it's gonna like burn their eyes or something. But no, it's it's a bomb. She made a bomb. That's yeah, fine. it's a full on bomb with her science knowledge. Science bomb. Science bomb. Um That's how I got. The sensates are all right. We're we're on a boat. We're all we're all gonna meet someday probably. Riley's fine. Everybody's happy. Unless. Unless. Stray thoughts, stray concerns, the more things you want to dig into. Uh, I can't believe we skipped the best exchange gag of the episode. 
Huh. Did you talk about Leto and Will talking for the first time? Oh, no. I mentioned Leto coming in, but what, what was in the conversation with the two of them? They The exchange is, Will says, do I know you? And Leto says, yeah. We had sex. What? Oh. Uh, it, it, that was very special. Oh. Hey. Uh, it, We're on a clock here, fellas. Ah. Uh. Uh, everyone's good in that scene you're right i forgot and because will can't deny it everybody here knows what everybody else knows so like he can't be like i wasn't there for it. it's like you were fully present you were working out you had a big boner yeah. and you did have sex with lita rodriguez you yeah. can't deny I, it i just like that finally a character acknowledges it because we've had now multiple meetings between characters whom are, have met for the first time after they were in an orgy together and finally one of them is like yeah we fucked in our brains isn't that weird? <laughs> so what's up? I I love it personally. Yeah. Um, I think I just I I in my notes that was wrapped up under the like Leto is here and I'm happy and I was paying too much attention to Leto to write mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. Um, skimming through my notes, I really liked the in the first scene with the therapist when he's talking about different ways people interpret the snow, and then he says to Will. What are you thinking about when you look at the snow? And Will says that I'm going to have to shovel it. Amazing. Pretty good, Big, Pretty good, good, good like teenager line. Uh-huh. Um, I just really liked all the Will know me partnership stuff. I liked them being a duo and hanging out and being doing basically the cop show thing of like, uh, I'm the techie computer person and you're the investigator detective guy. So maybe I like it because it's like a recognizable TV combination. Um, but I, I've been having fun with the two of them. I want more Nomi if that's possible. Like much yeah. more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. I thought it was a great choice from the actor playing Wolfgang when he shoots. Uh, first of all, I thought it was scripted really well when he says like, you're a monster my dad was a monster and you are hoping Wolfgang's going to say like, but I'm not. And he puts the gun away, but he very quickly is like, and I'm a monster too. Bang, bang, bang. And the way that he shoots the gun is he's like punching the bullets out of the gun into his face. It was really intense. And I thought, well, well performed. And that's why you have to marry Rajon, not me because I'm stinky. I thought that line was kind of stupid, but (laughs) it's badly Um, timed. They should talk about this later, not in the heat of the moment. So, okay, this is where I get into translator microbes mode for a second. Okay, um, we've previously established that like, like we had this whole sequence where Jonas was just visiting Will, um, and not visiting Will and Riley. But in this episode, Jonas visits Will and Nomi. But I guess he knows both of them, so that's a thing. The like you can visit two people at once who are visiting each other, but you have to, there's just not really an explanation for it, but I guess it, it actually maybe does make sense that that's possible. And he just didn't do it with Riley. Cause he doesn't know her. Mm-hmm. Oh, cause you have to, is it just a thing with all, so does whispers have a special ability here or is it a thing with all sensates that once you see someone, you can visit them whenever. That's a, they, I don't think they answered that question. I thought that was a whispers thing. 
Because everyone says, don't look at him. Right. But then Jonas is always popping into Will's head, and I think it's because he he had to physically be, and he's popping into Nomi's head, but nobody else is. And I think he physically was in San Francisco and Chicago, wasn't he? Yeah. Didn't, I was going to say they were all birthed by Angelica. What's their, what's everybody else's relationship to Angelica? Because that's related to how right. they're related to Jonas, because he was in a sense a cluster with Angelica. I'm assuming, yeah, that they were in a cluster together. Right. I think Irsa um, even says that. Like, oh, that's why Jonas believes that love between senses uh, is good. Yeah. Hmm. I think you're right. I don't know how to answer that question, though. I wonder if that's something that they cover. Maybe not. Yeah, we'll see. They've just been so good at there being, like, rules to this. Um, yeah. Ev- even if those rules are not immediately revealed to us, that I think they're there must be some explanation that I'm missing. I think it'll be explained just because now this whole point of like whispers being in Will's head is so is going to be so relevant that we have to like explain it a little bit more. I want a whole season of Will wearing earmuffs in a blindfold. <laughs> right. Yeah. How are they going to deal with this? I don't know. Great question. Or just like, hey, Will, don't look at me all the time. Look at the wall. Uh, I only have one episode of extra information than you do now. And to my knowledge, I think Jonas does work with whispers probably, but not in the, like he's lying to all of them. Like maybe he worked with him and he was like, your ideas are pretty evil. That's my thought. That, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I can definitely see it being like he's a Jonas made. Yeah. Jonas made a choice at a time that he thought was the right choice, but he has changed his mind. And now he's trying to make things right. That feels like what that character's doing. I want the Sensei comic about his cluster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are there any other forms of media for Sensei? Like anything else? Hmm. I don't know. But you know what I've been thinking about during this episode? What's that? Wouldn't it be cool to do a tabletop RPG where the characters are in like a sensei cluster? Whoa. Yes. Whoa. Definitely. That's That's the additional stories that I'm looking for. Yeah. And I'm doing it with Daryl Hannah and with Naveen Andrews. Yeah. We should just do a tabletop campaign where we do the uh, Angelica and Jonas cluster storyline. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. I'm into it. Yeah. It's a really good idea though. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Let me tell you what we're watching next time on Chatsy. Please do. Next time on Chatsy, we are watching one, count them, one quote unquote episode of Sense8. Season two season two of Sense8 starts with a bang. Uh and in twenty let me see when this episode aired, actually. I'm really curious. Uh it's called Happy Fucking New Year. On Netflix, it's listed as season two, episode one, but it aired before the rest of the season because it is a two-hour and four-minute episode. Uh, it's the Christmas special. It's also known as the Sensei Christmas special, and the summary is as follows. Scandals, surprises, and celebrations deepen the Sensei's bond as they work to rebuild their lives and outmaneuver whispers. Hmm. Okay, so... This was in December of 2016. So this was later, but not season two later. So there was still another gap after this one, which is why 
I stopped watching the show. Interesting, right? Pretty cool. How long was the gap? Uh, between this and season two, episode two. Yeah. Give me a give me a hot second while I look that up for you. I'll cut all of this. Happy fucking New Year, December twenty third, twenty sixteen. Aww. And then who am I? May fifth, twenty seventeen. Oh wow. Okay. So five five months was enough for my life to be like I am not ever gonna go back to Sensei. I told myself over and over again I would do it, and here we are, half a decade later, and I never did it. Well, hopefully, pretty soon you'll be able to finally do it. Yes, indeed. I'm really excited. Happy fucking New Year is very fun. From what I remember, it's a it's a Christmas ass Christmas special. It's sappy. It's Sensei. I love it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And we're watching it, and it'll be like December by the time we release the episode. So. Yeah. We, we didn't plan that, but yay. Tis the um, season. Tis the season. Magellan, I have to ask you a question I ask you every week, which is where, where, where can people find you on the podcast sphere? They can find me on another podcast, Super Smash Echoes. We play video games related to the Super Smash Brothers franchise. It's with my friend Justin, Super Smash Echoes. Check it out. Alan, what about you? I'm on a couple other podcasts. One of them is Oops More Anime, where every week my friend Six and I watch an episode of Mobile Suit Gundam, The Witch for Mercury, and talk about it. It's kind of like a chat show, but for anime. We also are occasionally putting out episodes of The Quorum, which is going to be returning to its original title, The Johto Quorum, uh, as we begin to discuss the new Pokemon of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet and rank them and rate them and all that fun stuff. Um those are my two main gigs. I also am the um, occasional host and producer of Talking Marketing, which is a marketing podcast hosted by AMA Boston, the American Marketing Association, uh, where every two months we interview really cool marketing professionals in a fun, easy to understand, and easily digestible way. So check out Talking Marketing wherever you listen to podcasts. And that, dear listener, brings us to the plug zone. Magellan, can you take it for this week, please? Sure thing. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can do so in a few different ways. You can email us at chatspot at gmail.com with any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, thoughts, recipes, diners, drive-ins, and dives. Uh, also, if you want to be on an episode of Sense8 Season 2, Chats8 Season 2, uh, well, hey, now's the time before we watch them all. You can also follow us. Well, hey, how do we feel about Twitter these days? Hmm. We can mention that we have a Twitter account, but also make it clear if things happen to catch on fire on any particular day, then you can find us elsewhere. Yeah. So we currently have a Twitter account, but hey, uh, fuck Elon Musk. And that's a whole thing at chats pod. I don't know. Twitter's in a weird spot. We still have one, but um, who knows for how long? Who knows for how long? We'll see. We have a subreddit where folks can chat about previous seasons of chats and current seasons as well. Reddit.com slash r slash chats pod. And you can also join fellow listeners on our Discord, which is a benefit for all of our patrons at $1 and up. Patreon.com slash chats pod is where you can back us. You can back us at $1, 3 or $5 a month. $1 gets you on the Discord. $3 gets you our twice monthly bonus content. $5 gets you thanked here at the end of our episodes. Special thanks to Arthur, Jen, Justin, Kat, Lee, my mom, Marcus, Michael, Nick, and Pat of the Brothers at Infinite War, Six, and Stefan. We also have a website, chatspot.com. Thank you to at Illustrator for our podcast art. And now it's time. Oh, and please rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Anyway, 
Now it's mm-hmm. time for our chatsums, our little snacks that we like to munch on between now and next time. Alan, what recommendations, chatsums, do you have for the folks at home this week? Um, I have a couple of fun, fun and light chatsums. You know, I've been chatsing a lot of video games recently because I've been getting back into games as the cold winter months come. Um, I want to start by chatsing a book that people should have read already, but if they haven't read it and you're familiar with it, Go ahead and crack open to Android Stream of Electric Sheet. Maybe I've chatsomed it before, actually. I don't remember. But you gotta read it, guys. Especially if you like speculative sci-fi like Sense8 or Babon 5 or Farscape or Star Trek. It's just, it's one of the best ones of those. I haven't chatsomed it. Yes! Yes! Philip K. Dix do Android Stream of Electric Sheep gets the Alan Ibrahim seal of approval. Stay tuned in like a month. When we watch and talk about Blade Runner with friend of the podcast, McKinley, we being me, Magellan's not on that podcast, unless he wants to be, unless you want to read a whole book in a month. How much book? How big Two, book? 200 pages. Oh. Yeah. It's no, a different month, maybe. But. Yeah, absolutely. It's a weird, weird time. I understand. But do Android Stream of Electric Sheep? That's the big one. Magellan, what about you? What's your chats for this week? I have two. One of them is a board game. One of them is a website game. So the board game is I was at home over the weekend for some kind of uh, Thanksgiving-y stuff, birthday-y stuff. Um, what was that game called? Is that your chats on that cool game? Yeah. My mom had us play this board game that was really fun. It was from the creators of Exploding Kittens, and it's called Poetry for Neanderthals. Um, basically... The way it works is it's a team-based guessing game where you have a card that has um, a single word and then below it, and that's worth one point, and then below it is like a short phrase that also uses the word. And you're trying to get your team to guess what's on your card, but you can only explain it with monosyllabic words so that you sound like a a cave person saying something poetic. Um, And there's like a inflatable blow up club that you pass around that people can use to enforce the rules which is fun it's just a smart uh party game that is sure to bring you some joy and i always like the party games where the point of them is that you are gonna sound dumb and make mistakes Mm -hmm. um because then it allows people to like sound dumb and make mistakes and uh, not take themselves so seriously. So poetry for Neanderthals was really fun. And then, hey, I uh, came across a Wordle variant recently. If oh. you can believe that that's something that I'm thinking about these days. Um, it's called Don't Wordle. Are you familiar? No. So basically, Don't Wordle, there's a Wordle length word every day. And your goal is to not solve it. But the trick is you're forced to follow um, like Wordle hard mode rules. So once you use a letter and it's grayed out, you can't use it again. And if you put any letters in the right place or in the word that need to be in a different place, you have to play them as if you're trying to win but you have to strategically guess words that will make you lose. And it's really hard. Wow, I'm already fucking up. It's so hard to do. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> this is fun. So if you're bored of Wordle or you want to get back to Wordle-y type things, try Don't Wordle. Um, and the other fun thing is they tell you each uh, step how many valid words are left in the dictionary. And you have five undos. So you can be like, oh, God, I have narrowed it down to 100 words I need to undo right now. Um, so, yeah. Okay, I found the word, so now I have to just not use the word. Yeah, can you get to six guesses not getting it? I'm going to do my... Uh, oh, my God, we'll have to figure that out. I'll play it off off mic. Okay. Very exciting. Um, can we do a quick uh, poetry for Neanderthals? I have a word. Um, okay. Let's see if you can get it. What's the time supposed right. to be? Is it three minutes? Uh, Just, yeah, I guess so. We'll do our best. So I'm not going to worry too much about the time, but I think it's, I'm going to make it an easy one. And mm. uh, for the people at home, I'll edit this in. The word is dog. And the bonus word is dog park. That's like the phrase. Okay. Mm. Three, two, one, go. It is bark. Bark. Dog. Yes. It walks here. Dog park. You got it. <laughs> That's <laughs> a really simple version of poetry for Neanderthals. It's, the words of the words are usually more interesting than that. But that's your 101. Majong got the nice. phrase. That's all we got for you, folks. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you to Magellan for being <sighs> the wheel to my future. Because when I turn him, he changes. Wow. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to this episode of Chats 8. Peace out. Peace and love. Peace and love. Bye-bye. Bye.